the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I wonder what God's perspective would be concerning our position as Christians here today. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. And now for today's Core Truth, we continue in part two of our study in James chapter two. Remember, mercy means that We deserve judgment. This is what mercy means. You deserve judgment, but instead of judgment, God has given you favor and even blessed you on top of that. I wonder if there is not someone that God wants you personally to show his grace to through your act of forgiving them because he desires to use you as his vessel for when we reach out as Christians to forgive someone that doesn't deserve our forgiveness, and we do it by grace and mercy that he has shown us, we do it, and guess who gets the glory? God gets the glory. Because it, you couldn't have done it on your own. And that will point them back to the God of grace and mercy. And it points back, and it's like, well, why are you forgiving me? Well, because God has forgiven me. See, and, and that person might come to know Christ. This person has caused you harm. This person has caused you no good. It might, it might allow them to open up their eyes to see the grace of God through you. Now, they might not, and it's like, yeah, well, whatever. Okay, well, okay, but God still wanted them to see that mercy. And when they stand before him in judgment day, and even though they rejected all of that, then they, God will judge them, and they will be judged harshly. God says, it's better for a person to have a millstone around their neck and thrown into the ocean than to come against one of my little ones. So if they don't repent, then it's not going to be good for them. But let God have the judgment, not you. And, but that person might just come. They might come to know the same God that you know because of that grace that they see in your life. And they can be, have a fresh start. They can have a, a second chance and really know what God is really about. Because why? You exhibited, you didn't just talk about it, you exhibited what your faith is. You, you lived it out. They could tangibly see, instead of you just saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. They saw that you were a Christian. Which brings up our point of faith, that's obvious. Let's pick up and read here in verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but he has no works. Like, you, you can't see it, you, just, you hear it because he's always telling you. Can that faith save him? That's a good question. Faith without works, can that faith save him? Verse 15, if a brother or sister is without clothing and need, in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? 
Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, well, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? That's wonderful. But so does the demons. They also believe, and they shudder. Satan believes that Jesus is God too. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Wow. Notice when comparing faith that has no works to a faith that is full of works, the faith without works is simply worthless. Worthless. He says at the beginning of verse 14 and at the end of verse 16, what use or profit is it? Yes, the person who claims that they have faith with their mouth, but by looking at their life really has no tangible evidence of that faith. Is that really faith at all? Understand, when we come to know Jesus as our Savior, we come by faith alone, okay? Jesus doesn't say, hey, go, go clean yourself up first. You know, make sure you get all the uh, sin out of your life. Hey, drug addict, stop taking your drugs. Uh, alcoholic, stop drinking. Uh, you know, person addicted to porn, stop looking at porn, you know. No, what does he say? Come just as you are. Yeah, I'm all dirty right now. That's all right, come on. Yeah, I'm filthy. I, I just came out of a, uh, you know, a strip club. Just come, just come just as you are. Come just as you are. I got alcohol in my breath. I'm half drunk. I'm half wasted. I'm high. Come as you are. Come just as you are. Jesus says, don't worry about cleaning yourself. You come as you are by faith. I love that verse that's in Ephesians 2.8. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one can boast. Well, I came to know Jesus. I gave up my drugs. I gave up this, and I became a wonderful man, and da-da-da-da. No, 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 no. No one's getting to heaven because of that. You come just as you are. So, yes, no works are needed when you come to know Christ. We're saved by grace. Grace is a beautiful thing. Grace means God's unmerited favor. It cannot be earned. It is unmerited. You just come. All that's required is that we simply come by faith and believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, that he was buried, and that he rose again from the dead. But... Once we come, everything changes. Once we believe, once we come to Christ, we become the sons and the daughters of God. And now he has no desire or plan to keep us the same way. Oh, now there's going to change is going to start happening to the true believer. He desires to change us from the inside out. He desires to change the course and the direction of our lives. Why? Because he desires us to be just like him. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to your former lust. Don't be acting like you used to act. Don't keep going to the places you used to go. He says, as obedient children, don't be conformed to those things any longer. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior. Because it is written, you... My son, my daughter, shall be just like me. 
I want you to be like me. I want people to start looking in your eyes and not seeing you anymore. I want them to see me inside of you. And see, when I started, you know, when I came to Christ, I started changing. My potty mouth went away. I wasn't going to parties anymore. I wasn't bonging. My, my friends were like, here, man, here, take a hit of the joint. No, I don't want that anymore. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, what's wrong with you? It's like, well, I'm different now. I've got Christ in my life. I can't drink. I can't party. I don't want to do those things anymore. See, all of a sudden, there was change in my life. Yes, once we are saved, people should see that we're saved. Not just hear that we're saved, they should see that we're saved by our actions. Not just from the hearing of our own lips, which is part of our testimony we do need to tell them, but they should also see it by evidence that we're not doing the same things by the way we used to live. It's becoming more like Jesus. It's becoming a servant. That's why James says in chapter 2, verse 15, if you see someone in need and you do nothing but speak the words, be, oh, we'll be warmed and filled, what use is that? How does that help them? Yes, real faith is a faith that takes action. Now, look, I hate giving money out here in L.A. There's just a million hands, right? I mean, how many hands are out there? Money, 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 money. So I I don't give money, sorry. But if you're hungry, I'll buy you food, you know? So I'm getting in, you know, this last Tuesday, ladies, you know, those of you that came to the Tuesday, you know, Revive, it was so awesome, and so many new ladies came, and we had a great night. And so as the ladies were in here getting taught, you know, Pastor John's like, hey, I think we'll buy some pizza for for the gals. And I'm like, don't waste your money. These women have been, they've been working all day. They, they come here. And when that study's over, they're going to beeline to that door, hit their cars. They're going home. They're tired. It's like, oh, he, he, Pastor John's like, well, if you don't want me to, it's like, a, you know, Pastor Shannon's like, no, man, these, these women will eat pizza. And I'm like, nah, I don't think so, man. I, you know, and then I'm like, okay, I don't want to be the royal quencher. I'm like, okay, well, you might want to just get a couple, you know, I don't, I don't see them staying, you know. So John orders like 20 pizzas. I'm thinking, oh, what a waste of pizza, you know. Oh, no. Oh, oh, you ladies, man. It's like, oh, man, there was hot pizza in there. Man, the ladies were lined up on that table. Man, they're just wolfing on that pizza. It's like, I'm like, okay. I I told Pastor John to go, well, hey, I I stand corrected, okay. It's like, who's wrong? So anyway, I'm getting ready to leave on Tuesday night. And so I'm getting in my car, and this guy rolls up on a bicycle, and he's like, hey, you got some money for some some food? I'm like, no, (laughs) but I have some food. I go, hey, man, you just wheel that bike right around the side right here. Pastor John's right over there. There's still some pizza in there. He got some hot pizza for you right now. And he goes, okay, turns around and leaves. See, he didn't want food. He wanted money. Okay, and it's just like when I was back in the you know, city of brotherly love, you know, where there's not too much love back in Philadelphia. And uh, I was uh, witnessing to this, you know, out, uh, out there in Love Park where there's, again, not too much love. But anyway, I was taking a little break. I was over at Wendy's, you know, going to do some hoedown on some food. <laughs> anyway, so I go to walk in the door and this guy's by the door. And he goes, hey, man, I need some food. I'm like going, okay, well, he goes, well, no, he said, you have some money for some food. I'm like, uh, no, but I'll buy you some food. Do you want some food? He goes, yes. So I go in there, get him this whole meal. I bring it out, and he's just right there. He waves his, I'm watching him. He waves this guy. The guy comes from across the street, grabs food, takes it, and he's still there. Hey, you got some money. He, they wanted money. So that's why I don't like giving money out, 
But, you know, I do want to help people, but you just don't know who's the one. So you have to have some discernment and some wisdom. But, you know, God wants to still use us in some way, shape, or form. Now, there was a church out of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. The seven churches in the book of Revelation is a description of what humanity is going to look like in the last days. I believe that we're living in the last of the last days. And so you could take all seven and a half billion people on planet Earth now, and you could categorize them in each of those seven churches, meaning that the description of each one of these churches describe every single person living today. So Jesus spots out the people in Laodicea. They were all dressed nice. They all looked wonderful, wonderful Christians here at the church of Laodicea. We're all just beautiful people. It's the church of the beautiful people. And so this is what Jesus said to the church of beautiful people. In Revelation 3, 17, he says, because you say, I am rich, because that's what they said. And you have become wealthy. That's what they said. And you have need of nothing. That's what they said. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Whoa! Okay, (laughs) it's just like, I mean, how many churches are the churches of the rich and it's a big socialite club? Jesus says, you guys can say what you want, but I know who you really are. They said, we are rich. And Jesus says, uh, no, you're poor. They said, we're wealth, wealthy. Jesus says, no, you're wretched. They said, we are in need of nothing. Jesus says, you are in need of everything. They said, we're busy. Jesus says, yes, you are. Yet you are so miserable. They said, we're full of vision. Jesus says, no, you're actually blind. They said, we're clothed in fine garments. Jesus says, no, you're naked. And you haven't found satisfaction. Jesus said, you know what? You make me sick to my stomach. The word that he used there, I want to spew you out of my mouth. I want to vomit you. I mean, could you imagine talking to the Lord and, and saying, oh, yes, I'm just, my life is wonderful, Lord. And he says, I feel like I want to throw up talking to you. I mean, that's exactly what he said. It's like, you ever had the dry heaves? Okay, sorry. But anyway, you know, that's, I mean, so the Lord has given the dry heave thing. Oh, my goodness. God had a totally different perspective on their position in life than what they had. I wonder what God's perspective would be concerning our position as Christians here today. Maybe you think, well, I'm just fine. But are you really? You might say, but I believe in God. Yet notice again, verse 19 says, the devil also believes in God. But he trembles at his presence and he knows he's going to be judged and sent to hell forever. He trembles because of that. And there is no redemption. There is no repentance for him. But James said in verse 18, you have faith. Okay, you say you have faith. All right, great. Show me your faith without any kind of works. And I'll show you my faith by simply the way I live, by my works. Yes, the reality of a true faith is better seen than heard. Did you get that? The reality of a true faith is better seen than heard. And so let me ask you, if you were taken to court as a Christian, we're arresting you and you're going to be tried in a court of law 
And we're going to bring in a jury on whether you're a Christian or not. And the jury would comprise of only your family, your friends, and your co-workers. And they came in to give testimony about your life. So you have the jury, who's your family, friends, and co-workers, and also the people that they put on the stand to testify about you is your family, friends, and co-workers. And so if that happened, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Or would the people say, oh, they're a Christian? Really? Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, would it be like, what? I mean, wait. No, he was the one that's all had the good dirty jokes. And well, when we're out on the business trips, he's the one that's, you know, doing this and that. And we're going out, going to bars and what? Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, oh, whatever. You know, to each his own, you know. Or would they say, oh, absolutely. Oh, that, oh that guy's totally a Christian. Oh, he does this. He does this. He's, you know, he walks away from the dirty jokes. You know, he's always this. He comes in. He's got his Bible in his hands. Always, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. You know, oh, it just drives me crazy. I want to be miserable on Monday. And he's happy. You know, it's like, oh, geez. It's like, what would it be for you? Which brings up our third and final point. Examples to follow. Let's read what he says in James 2, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab, this is the prostitute we were talking about earlier, the harlot, she was also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Wow. You know, see, the book of James, it's like, again, you got the big cut on your arm, and it's like, just pour some peroxide in there. You know it's going to be good for you. You know, see, I got these couple, you know, these are massive teeth marks because I was playing with Mimi, my granddaughter, and then Zach, my dog, was all getting in there, and so he totally scarfed my arm, you know. So I know they say that a dog's mouth is cleaner than a human's, but I know where my dog's mouth goes. <laughs> So I'm cleaning this. Okay, so anyway, so I was getting the peroxide out. It's all foaming up. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, ah, you know. But wh- why do we do that? Because we know in the long run we're better off, right? Well, James is like the peroxide of the Bible. And it's like, you know what? We're just going to like, we're going we're gonna to poke into some places that you don't want to be poked. But here we have two great examples of faith. First, we have Abraham. He is the father of our faith. For Abraham was the first man who believed God. And he just simply trusted him. Like, I believe what you say. Because God came to him and he was like, what, a little over 70? And he's like, hey, you're going to have a baby. Uh, Yeah, my wife, uh, yeah, we've been trying to do that for the last 50 years. Yeah, well, guess what? You're going to have a baby. I'm going to make a great nation with you. So Abraham just said, okay, I believe it. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I believe it. And God counted it unto him as righteousness. That word righteousness means being in right standings with God. This was way before Moses. This is way before the Ten Commandments, the Pentateuch. You know, and, and what did Abraham do that really proved hands down 
that he totally trusted and believed God? Well, it says in verse 21 that he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. For those who are not familiar with this, you might be thinking, he did what? He, 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 like he, he offered his son up as a sacrifice to God? See, let's get the whole story here. See, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his own son Isaac on the altar. Now, some say, that's crazy. Yeah, well, yeah, it is. It's totally crazy, okay? And, and because you have to understand that, that it was until Abraham was 100 years old before Isaac was born. So he's waiting on this, this promise that God gave him for two to three decades, okay? So, so all of a sudden, he's, you know, he's like 100 years old now, and his wife's 90, okay? Not exactly in their childbearing years, okay? And so it's like all of a sudden, what? It's like, oh my goodness, this guy's going to have a baby at 100 years old. His wife's given birth at 90 years old. God kept his promise. So now Abraham knew that the promise was all related to the new birth of this nation called Israel. The Jewish people, the Hebrews, was all going to be based on this son being born. Now God, you know, down the road is saying, hey, Abraham, that, that boy that you really love, I think you love him a little too much. I think you love him more than me. So will you offer him up as a sacrifice? Abraham's like, uh, okay. But see, God had a plan. And there was going to be many pictures that can be drawn out of this plan. Like Abraham's great love for God. Yes, God, I will do anything that you tell me to do that he would even take the most precious thing that he had in his life, his son Isaac, and sacrifice him. But before you think, okay, this is just crazy here. But Abraham told everyone when he was going to go do this, me and the boy are coming back. We're coming back. Now, Hebrews 11 gives us a little more insight on what's happening in Abraham's mind and what he's thinking. Because he not only trusted God, he believed God. And he believed God would raise him from the dead. So he's like, okay, I'm going to go kill my son. And God's going to raise him up because I know God has already told me in a previous promise that the promise is going to work through my son to go on with the nation. So this kid's going to live no matter what. So he wants me to kill him. I'll kill him, but God will raise him up. So he was fully convinced in his mind that he's going to have a resurrection here. Remember, God had promised to, that, to Abraham to raise up through Isaac this new bloodline, this new nation of people. This was the beginning of the Jewish race again. And what about the faith and love that Isaac showed? So we forget how much Isaac was part of this whole thing also. For he, you know, he asked his dad when they were walking for the sacrifice. Hey, dad, I see the wood for the sacrifice. I see the fire. Hey, where's the lamb? What, what lamb are we sacrificing here? We must remember at this point, Abraham is over 120 years old and Isaac is in the youth of strength. He's like, you know, maybe 20, 22 years old. Isaac could have said, you know, dad, I see what you're doing here. I don't have a good feeling about this whole sacrifice gig, okay? So I got a new plan here and the new plan is I'm going to sacrifice you, you old goat. And, uh, you know, and that's it. That's how it's all going to go down. But Isaac didn't do that. He obeyed God also. Isaac came alongside of his father, Abraham, and they both obeyed God. And right before Abraham took his son's life, the knife is up in the air. He's sitting there like, okay, here it goes. And he's like, stop. Stop. And God provided a ram that was caught in the bushes to sacrifice instead of Isaac. But they both passed the test. It wasn't just Abraham. 
It was Abraham and Isaac both passed the test. Yet, look at the picture. Abraham believed and he obeyed God, just like we do when God provided the necessary sacrifice that Jesus died on the cross for ourselves, as God provided himself as that sacrifice for our sins. Plus, this was all done on Mount Moriah. That's where he took him. It was just a wilderness spot at this point, but God had so much to do there at Mount Moriah. This was the future site of where all sacrifices would be made. This is where the temple would be built in Jerusalem by Solomon, David's son. And this is the very spot that Jesus was condemned by the Jewish religious leaders to be killed. So much, so many pictures that come out of that whole scenario there. Plus, this is where the Jews will rebuild their temple one day in the great tribulation period, which I believe is right around the corner. It says in Revelation chapter 11 that they will build the temple. And it says the outer court is given to the Gentiles because that's where the Dome of the Rock sits. And so there you go. The temple will be rebuilt on the Temple Mount right next to the Dome of the Rock, just like it says in Revelation 11. And I believe that that's going to start happening very soon here. That's all the time we have for our message. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app and online at corechurchla.org. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.